So I think one of our greatest successes is we do not really have any delineation in terms of clients. You don't end up as a client getting handed off to a new team. As you grow, we add to your team. We have teams of bankers and advisors that work together. We believe and we're better together than we are separate. So what we did is we actually levelized compensation. There is not a compensation difference between the platforms. I tell my advisors all the time, you shouldn't call yourself a financial advisor if you're not talking about protection. If you are calling yourself an advisor and you are not talking about risk management with a client, that piece of it, you're not really an advisor, you're an investment provider. And that is a different job. A lot of us are big SBA lenders and each SBA loan needs to have that term insurance component to it. And a lot of those deals are getting referred off outside of the institution. One of the things we're looking at is for these small businesses is what does that package need to look like? We're looking at how in a small business, business and life is highly integrated. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to BISA Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis, and I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. So this month, Bob and I will discuss one wealth, quote unquote, with our two guests. So we will ask them about the inherent challenges of integrating all departments related to wealth management into a seamless and integrated offering for the appropriate clients of our institutions, and we'll explore how to make progress towards that goal. So with that, Bob, want to introduce yourself and have our guests introduce themselves. Well, thanks, Scott. Hello, everyone. And I am Bob Mattel. And let me welcome you to this, the May edition of BISA Industry Trend Watch. As Scott said, we have another great panel with us today. But before we meet them, let me remind you to visit BISANet.org for all things BISA. Let me also note, this is our 30th podcast in this series I can you believe we started this in June of 2020 and we are now 
in our 30th episode. So let's meet our panel. First off, we have Rebecca Robinson from Zions Bank and a fellow BISA board member. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. Um, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. I'm Rebecca Robinson. I am the Director of Wealth Management for Zions Bank Corporation. So I think as we heard Bob say, there is Zions Bank, but Zions Bancor actually is a collection of banks from Texas West. Uh, we're about a $90 billion bank and we cover 11 Western states. And thank you so much for being with us today. From Old National Bank, we have Eric Pinter. It sounds like the price is right, I know, but hey, you know. <laughs> it sounds great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Eric Pinter with Old National Bank uh, and Old National Investments. Uh, we're a $47 billion bank, uh, the sixth largest bank in the Midwest, uh, covering uh, seven states in the great Midwest. All right, everyone. So sit back, relax, get a cup of coffee or a mug of beer. Or if you're driving or if you're on the treadmill, whatever you are, just listen in. And here we go. Scott, your turn. As you know, Bob and I have a lot of discussions on these podcasts and our forums, et cetera. And we always hear about the challenges of integrating trust and brokerage, right? There are just a lot of inherent challenges. And when do the clients get handed off? And then who's, who's, who's the quarterback of the client? How do you work compensation? All that kind of stuff. So with all those challenges in mind, let's you know ask you guys, and Rebecca, I'll ask you first. So what have been your biggest challenges and what have been your biggest successes so far in this regard? Scott, when I think about this topic, I like to pull back a little bit, and I think we have taken a regulatory construct, and then we've developed a client experience based on regulation, which has then sort of morphed into beliefs about which platform is better, who belongs where, when you hand them off, who can work with someone. And I think one of the things that we really work to do is pull back and put your client in the center and ask, what does a client need? What is it that makes a difference in delivery? And the reality is, is I don't think it's a platform issue anymore. It's really more about how you work with a client, where their complexity changes, and who needs to be on that team. So I think one of our greatest successes is we do not really have any delineation in terms of clients. You don't end up as a client getting handed off to a new team. As you grow, we add to your team. And we place you in the place that best meets your investment needs and otherwise, but we're not taking away people. We really view it as adding people for complexity. I think the challenge is, is we have a lot of just deeply held beliefs in the industry and different jobs. And so a lot of the challenge in taking that friction away is I think it's a lot to get people to reimagine maybe what their role is and question it you know, a little bit differently. Totally different construct than what I normally hear. You said, so as, if I heard you correctly, as you grow as a client, we're going to add people to your team versus handing you off to another team. Absolutely. Was, Absolutely. was that like an aha moment that you guys figured out a few years ago? How did that come to be? Because I love that. Yeah. About eight years ago, um, we had the opportunity. We used to have separate bank charters and we were putting them together and as part of that process, we had to pull together broker dealers and trust companies, all of these pieces into one unit. And it gave us a chance to say, all right, in a perfect world, we're building it basically lots of clients, lots of different places, but we're building this new. What would that look like? And I was also able to reach back to some of my you know, previous employers and previous experiences and just see how people hoarded clients, uh, hid them, the the 
even the interactions between the platforms, how they viewed each other. And I was able to say, I just don't think that's good for a client. So we said, what would be the best experience for a client? And it's to give them the right people as their relationship develops. If they need new people, if it changes entirely, then it's client-centric. But most of the time, adding specialists, adding a planner, adding a portfolio manager, how you look at that is a much better client experience than having someone fight between and hide and and do all of these things that we see happen internally that are not in the client's best interest. Yeah, so that's a that's a very client centric construct as it should be. There are still perhaps some compensation challenges, right? I mean, have you figured all that out? So what we did is we actually levelized compensation. There is not a compensation difference between the platforms. So we also wanted to remove, we know compensation drives behavior, conflict drives behavior. So we actually just found a way to levelize that compensation piece as well. So you are no better or worse off uh, if a client is on one platform or another. And then our agreement with all of our relationship managers is as long as you do the right thing, bring the right people in at the right time, you stay on the client relationship. If you don't do that, there is no reason other than maybe a pride of ownership. If you don't do it, then you don't stay on the client relationship. So it's really not driven by money. It is not driven by platform bites. And I took that all the way up to my leadership team. We have a shared agreement where we all rise together or sync together. So brokerage, cannot be successful if trust isn't and vice versa. I love that. So so one final sub question, and then I'm going to pass it to Eric. If a client is working, let's say initially on your brokerage side of the equation and has an advisory account and then grows to a full wealth management relationship where they're doing some trust, does that advisory account ever transfer over to the trust platform and become an agency account or how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, absolutely. And we have... Uh, married up the investment, the way investments are delivered in an advisory capacity on our brokerage side, it's very similar, uh, similar models to the way that we do it on our trust side. Some of the vehicles are different. The number of people who can work on it are different. So when a client grows to a certain point that we think it's in their best interest, then that's when we have a conversation. We transition that account, but we've done enough to marry those platforms up that we avoid tax issues, things like that, and move them to the new platform with the broader team around them. I like the way this conversation is starting already. That's some good stuff. All right, Eric, so you have a hard act to follow. <laughs> uh, I sure do. So uh, we have some similar aspects. Completely agree with Rebecca, where it really should be focused on the client journey and the client experience. So um, we do some of the similar items of adding people to the team, depending on the client's needs. And, and really kind of uh, go from there. So it's not just, you know, pull you off of one platform, put you on another and switch you from team to team. You know, this is a relationship business. We're not really in a product business. We're in a relationship business. So we want to take that relationship, that strong relationship that the advisor and client already have or the client and banker already have. And we just want to add to that and just strengthen that relationship. So we're very similar in some ways and we just want to keep on adding and and wherever the client is in their journey, uh, that's where we kind of meet, want to meet them and, and help take them along the way. So it sounds like you both have inspired some impressive teamwork among your teams then, right? And that 
It's not always easy to do because there are, you know, trust issues between different departments, et cetera. But it sounds like you've, you've both kind of done that. Is that is that an accurate statement from a teamwork standpoint? You fostered that? I think that's fair here. Yes. Private banking. So where does that fit into the equation? Do you both have a private banking arm or not? Get, get, just give us a flavor for that. Eric, you, you want to start with that one? We do have private banking. Um, I would say it straddles across the brokerage group, the trust group, the high net worth group. Uh, private banking straddles all three of those kind of lines of business in our one wealth unit. Uh, so depending again, back to client needs, we can bring in the appropriate banker because we do want to make sure that we're servicing all of our clients' needs and not just focusing on investments, but we want to make sure we focus on you know savings, we want to focus on lending. We want to have, make sure that we're really pairing up the investment needs with their banking needs. So we do have private bankers uh, along the way. And specifically the brokers unit, we have teams of bankers and advisors that work together. Um, we believe we're stronger together. We're better together than we are separate. So we do a lot of joint appointments, a lot of joint calling on people. We really want to present a, a kind of a team atmosphere uh, in those client meetings and, and they work together. Um, and it's something, you know, it's been a, a little bit of a journey the last couple of years to get there, but we really think we're in a good spot and it's only getting better with the private banker and the advisor working together and really helping those clients uh, fulfill all their needs and all their goals. Our audience has heard us talk about the six core needs over and over again. So I won't go over them, but if you're working independently, it's very difficult to service all of those six core needs in a seamless fashion. But if you're working in the way that you're both describing, then it becomes the client experience becomes what it should be and you're differentiated, right? So that's good. So Rebecca, from a private banking standpoint, how does what Eric just described compare to your organization? Yeah, very, very similar. And I, I agree with everything he said that we're better together. The thing we've found as well is there are really different levels. We have relationship banking, private banking, and then the more sophisticated someone gets, the greater those needs are. And part of our reason that we're always working together, calling together, taking care of clients together is people's lives are very fluid. And sometimes it is both sides of the balance sheet. Sometimes we spend a long time cultivating a banking client who then has a liquidity event and then becomes an investment client. But along the way, there was a lot of planning to do. There was um, asset protection, things like that to consider. So by making sure we're together all of the time, we also make sure that we're working with someone throughout their whole life cycle. So uh, that's part of our calling plan is it's not just the team in wealth. It's also the team that drives the banking side of it as well. And do you both attempt to work with the whole family at appropriate times? So it's intergenerational on your, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some families that the children are part of it with mom and dad. And then there are other families um, as we, we have a lot of entrepreneurial wealth. So we have people who've started businesses, their children have worked there and we're really still in that first and second generation. And so being able to start working with that second generation when they're younger also helps us ensure that we're taking care of them and, and looking at their needs, which often are more banking related early on, but then having a relationship with them as they kind of progress through either owning the business or the liquidity event with their parents. Well, just to kind of piggyback on Rebecca said too, you know, we're trying to, you know, work 
more with the next generation. I think our industry uh, in the past probably didn't do a very good job of that. And it's something that we're trying to educate more and really trying to spend more time and effort doing that. And it's going to be a evolution over time. But that's really, you know, kind of the holy grail of keeping that client, keeping that family, not just for one generation, for multi-generations where they're with your advisor and your institution that whole way. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge because, you know, the reality is, and you can look at your ACH studies and figure this one out, that the, the next generation, while they may work with you from a banking standpoint, their investing is on Robinhood and SoFi and Acorns and all that. So we, we have to figure that one out, right? There's It's a project that, that I'm actually working on, but it, that's a bit of a challenge because the next generation is very di- They get their investing advice from TikTok and YouTube, right? So... <laughs> yeah, and Scott, I do think one of the things is as complexity grows... That's where I think we we come back in. We see younger people, they want to take some money and put it in XYZ. Uh, they make money and they lose it and they learn the value of advice. And so I think part of what we encourage our clients to do is let them have some of those experiences because they need to learn the difference between that type of advice and advice that's done in a more holistic way focused on their situation versus maybe the next hot thing that's out there to pursue. No, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the secret is to get them under our tent in some way, shape or form. And then there's a good percentage of them are going to get to the point where they're going to be like, all right, I need help. Right. And then we're there for them. And and that's, that's exactly what we want. All right, Bob, your turn. I got to just continue this conversation for one more minute and tell a quick story. On Monday, I was on the phone with my financial advisor, who is, I have two, one is with a bank, one is not with a bank. I'll let you guess which one I was on the phone with. This financial advisor remembered that my daughter just graduated. So he said, hey, how was the graduation and everything? And I said, really good and all that kind of stuff. He says, you have any money left in your 529? I said, yeah. He said, you know, you can move that. There's a new law that's going to enable you to move that tax-free into a Roth IRA for her. And I'm like, wow, I had no clue. He also, at the same time, convinced me to open up an account for both her and my son, who's 26 years old. A very smart financial advisor He's not the one with the bank, <laughs> but there's a lesson to be learned there for all of our listeners. I have two financial advisors. The other one sees them all the time going into the bank. Never went down that path, but Ben did. So anyway, multi-generational, absolutely an important concept. Let me get to my question. All right. So wealth management is more than investments. You know, it, we, we want to grow and protect. Insurance is a significant need of all of our clients. And if our job is a trusted advisor, is to help our clients, not only to help them manage their assets, but also protect their assets. So uh, let me start with you, Rebecca. Are you guys doing anything about insurance and protection needs? Because I, I, I believe, and I think you believe as well, that's a true part of wealth management. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say this is an area I think we fall short. I think we fall short in the banking industry. And it's something we're really spending a lot of time on. Um, I have started to say, if you are calling yourself an advisor and you are not talking about risk management with a client, that piece of it, you're not really an advisor, you're an investment provider. And that is a different job. So uh, we're working, one of the things we are adding is an insurance specialist to our team. Uh, And with the idea being, again, it's not that we're now trying to drive a bunch of insurance, it's all planning focused. And the first goal will be, you also don't have a financial plan or a wealth plan, if it's really an investment plan or a cash flow plan. And just by adding that conversation, 
part of the way you help someone is you show them how that fits into their goals, their objectives. On one end, it's protecting your family if something happens to you, protecting yourself if you end up with a long-term care type of issue. On the other end, it's a really great tool for estate planning, um, illiquid, leverage, everything else. So we are really, really working on that. I think we've done a nice job on the higher end that is very advanced planning driven, but I think we have a lot of opportunity. And I told people at the end of the day, people hope they never need it, but if they do, that's actually your chance to probably do the most meaningful thing you can do to protect someone's family. And, and that is wealth management, not investment management. Absolutely. And you mentioned long-term care. And a lot of people think that, oh, I'll self-insure. And I don't think they really understand what that means. I mean, that's a lot of self-insuring. Yes. And if you're an investment advisor, your investments are going to go way down that you're advising this client on if you haven't covered that. We call it protection because it's well more than the life and the long-term care products. What about liability? Absolutely. I mean, that's another whole aspect. No bank is taught. No financial advisor is saying, you have an umbrella policy in case you get sued. And that's a big part of the conversation we're putting out there um, is on that PNC side. Umbrella insurance is a very inexpensive way to add a lot of coverage. Um, and also, as our clients move upstream, looking at where that provider is. Is it the right provider that can handle the type of properties you have, the toys you have, the liability all of that is creating? Do you have uh, staff in your home? So we, I think we get more comfortable on the PNC side, but we're really working to expand that conversation really across all forms of protection. And that includes having the right plan in place, the right entities and other things as well. I, I know you know what you're talking about when you say toys, because those in the business refer to the boats and the motorcycles and all that stuff as toys. And that's really an important part of this, this the whole coverage aspect of it. You know, even you think everyone has a homeowner's insurance policy, but you know what? Does it have all the riders if you needed to replace that? You don't want to start liquidating retirement assets to go, you know, build a new house to code when it, you have an opportunity there to review that coverage and really make sure that it covers what a new dwelling might cost to build. Absolutely. All right, Eric, I'm going back right toward right to you for your whole ideas on protection. And I know you guys have done a lot and have a lot more to do, but what are your thoughts on the whole protection conversation with wealth management? Yeah, you know, Rebecca hit it out of the park, right? She was right on with, with everything she said. I tell my advisors all the time, you shouldn't call yourself a financial advisor if you're not talking about protection and insurance. You're an investment advisor. So that's where we really need to, to talk about that. And I think financial planning, doing more planning and going down that route, I think helps the advisors have that conversation. So with us, we're trying to be more financial planning led. We really want financial planning to be the foundation of our client experience going forward. Protection goes hand in hand with financial planning. Uh, so I really believe that is the way, you know, we're trying to do more education to the advisors uh, for some of the simple uh, protection and insurance planning. And we are also going down the route of looking at uh, bringing on some specialists to do some of the more complex insurance planning and protection planning that really probably should be to a specialist and not just to an advisor on some of those more complex situations. So I think just like with the investments, we have to have different delivery models depending on 
the type of solution the client needs um, and where they are uh, in their life. Um, I'm starting to think that protection insurance should be the same way, right? There's places where you should deliver term and some simpler solutions. And then there needs to be a kind of a scale where, you know, there's different delivery models uh, depending on the needs of the client when it comes to uh, protection products. Well, and it goes back to the whole, you know, the, the, the concept they were talking about earlier about adding people to the team, adding the right people to the team, adding the right products. You know, and when you talk about multi-generational, an older client has totally different needs. That younger client's going to need more protection maybe for the toys and things of that nature. And it's going to have to carry more liability. You know, so those are things I don't think many banks are really thinking about right now, especially on the liability side. And I think we can really do a service. And you don't want to be the financial advisor that has the client coming in smelling of smoke saying my house just burnt down and I don't have the right coverage. You don't want to be there. So let me let me kick it up a notch further and, and really just, you know, challenge this conversation with something we call you know, protection services. And Rebecca, you had mentioned that there's a lot of entrepreneurship and a lot of your clients and there's, they have small businesses. So have you ever thought about um, putting together a bundled set of products or a process where you're, look, you're doing your discovery with a client, you're looking, you're asking them to bring in some policies to review. Is there a, is there a shortfall somewhere? And just looking at the whole process around protection and just like, kicking it up a notch, almost financial planning for the insurance and protection side. Yeah, and I, I think this is a great question. And it's very, very timely. Um, really, small businesses and businesses are the backbone of our organization. Uh, many of the wealth clients we work with, they tell the story that this was the first loan that they ever received. It's something we gave them. Um, during times of hardship, we stayed with them instead of maybe foreclosing on something. And they really credit us with where they are today. One of the things we're looking at is for these small businesses is what does that need to look like? What does that package need to look like? And I really agree with what Eric said. I think we're looking at how in a small business, business and life is highly integrated. It's hard to separate them. It's hard. There's not two components. So how do you make sure that you're putting all of that together and you're bringing the pieces the business needs as well? And then I think as you go upstream, there's a lot more availability and a lot of looking at things quite separately. So I think that that's, that's a really important place for us to be. Um, and I think the industry is catching up with a small business owner is doing so much. I think a package of products that cover business liability, thinking about their personal life, what are they covering? All of those things in a package is really, really valuable versus asking them to try and navigate two sides of things. Absolutely. You know, every bank has a built-in revenue stream for this that we don't even know. Yep. About two and a half, three years ago, there was something called PPP. We were one of the largest PPP lenders in the country. Well, you know what? Those clients are unbelievably pleased and happy with what was provided to them there. How open they would be to conversations around this, I'm sure, right now as well. Absolutely. Um, Eric, putting you on the spot for the same kind of a question. Process around small businesses. What, what are your thoughts? We don't have a, a structured process. Uh, you know, it's all kind of piecemeal depending on the advisor or the team member that they bring in. Uh, to have that conversation. 
I would tell you, I, we would be very interested in some kind of packaged product. I think it would help the advisors and the bankers uh, really package it up and talk about it. You know, I just think about just the opportunities of our industry uh, that we're missing out on. A lot of us are big SBA lenders, and each SBA loan needs to have that term insurance component to it. And a lot of those deals are getting referred off outside of the institution. And, and we need to have that solution in-house. We need to really help with that solution. And uh, and I think a, something like this, I think, would really help uh, when it came came to that. Don't overthink it. It's really all about discovery. That's really what it all boils down to. It's asking whoever it is, whether it's a business owner or the head of a family, what are the right questions to ask them? Those are easy things to write down and to, and to repeat because any process that's repeatable will get you success. But it's not, it's just simple discovery and that'll open up the conversation. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, a package solution along with some package discovery questions I think would be great. A lot of times some advisors, they don't know what to ask. And if we could help them along with the solution, I think that would be a, a home run. Stay tuned for some help on that, because I'm sure we can we can do that. And, and Rebecca, you had something to add. Yeah, as well. I was just going to say, Eric, I, I agree with you there. One of the biggest hindrances I see in helping people is someone doesn't know the first question to ask or the fear that if I ask the question and I don't quite know the answer, I don't know where to go with it. So I think the help, the education, along with the ability to deliver would make a huge difference. It's a, it's a great conversation to have. And I have to ask you guys. You obviously use an automated financial planning software, and I'm not sure if it's Money Guide Pro or eMoney or which it is, but they all have these components in there that talks protection, and there's like 5% usage of it. A lot of it's built into what's already out there in, in the market, but our financial advisors don't use it because what? They're investment advisors. I, I'm Scott's sitting on his hands there, wanting to chip in and, and chime in with something here I know. I, know yeah. you, so I can see the facials going on here. Bob and I have done enough of these where he he can read my body language. So I, I need to put a bow around all this and and just uh, mention something that Bob and I are working on with with some of the organizations that we're involved with. So think of what we've been talking about as a a branded set of of services that you call the business protection plan, and you put your name on it. So the Zion's business or whichever bank it is that you know you have in your portfolio, Rebecca, right? And for you, Eric, it's the Old National Business Protection Plan. And it's as simple as this. Now, this is a positioning thing and it's a branding thing, but it's as simple as this. It starts with discovery and the right set of discovery questions. And Bob and I are working with some of our partners to create that, that set of discovery questions. But you guys have a ton of resources, right? I mean, you have product providers and you have third-party broker dealers. You can bolt together a lot of good discovery questions. Well, that's what we're doing, right? So we're so it starts with discovery. This is a package of services. It starts with discovery where you're sitting down with the business owners and the, the, the appropriate executives. You're assessing the scope of, of their business and the their their business assets, the business, business liabilities, the business risks. And then the next phase is a policy review. Okay, we understand what your business is about and what the liabilities are, what the risks are, what the what the, what the you know what the different uh, protection needs might be. Let's now review what you have. Phase two is the policy review. Phase three is the protection gap analysis for the business. So based on the results of the policy review and then and, and the discovery, you compare what you've discovered as necessary to what they have and you do the gap analysis. Phase four is the recommendations. If the current protection policies are performing, you document why they're performing and how they should be retained. 
Two is if the policies are not performing, you document the proposals for upgrades. Three, if the protection needs are, if there are protection needs that are not currently covered, you document the recommended protection strategies. Four, recommendations are, are, are made by a side-by-side -side comparison, identifying protection needs mapped to current coverages and recommendations, and then you help execute, right? So that's the business protection plan, but it's ongoing because part of that is an annual review, right? Where you are assessing the evolution of the business and the needs and making sure the appropriate coverage is in place. And then what I'll call kind of business wellness education as part of that annual review, you're also educating them as to things that are evolving, whether it be regulatorily or from a risk perspective. And so now you have this package of services that you call the business protection plan that you're delivering and it differentiates you. Yeah, it's insurance products and it's discovery, but it's a nice package with a bow around it with a name and maybe even a logo and you're off and running, right? I mean, that's so that's some of the stuff that we're working on. But as I hear both of you speak, that would be a perfect way to, to really put a nice wrapper around what you're already doing, right? Absolutely. So now that's not very related to my next question. So I'm going to jump back to what we were what we were talking about previously and ask you a question about this whole team approach. Because if you're if you're also handling protection needs, and that's another team member that you bring to the table, right? So now you now you have a team, but that client started somewhere in your institution, and maybe it was years back, and they started with a person and then has evolved. And so now we're talking about a, a client that may have much more sophisticated needs because they're a small business owner or whatever. Do you dictate to any degree who the, I'll use the term quarterback, so who the quarterback is for that client, or you just let the client decide that as that relationship evolves? Who's responsible for that client and does it evolve? Or so what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Rebecca, let me ask you first, and then Eric, I'd like to hear your opinion. We don't dictate who the relationship manager is, but we do require the team to determine it. Because one of the places where we see sometimes the ball is dropped is when someone thinks someone else is doing something. And I think if we think through a banking relationship, it's also common you might have a commercial banker or a business banker or a commercial real estate lender. And we also know that over a client's life cycle, that will change. So depending on where they are in their business, that cycle, what they need, there's the likelihood that they will see different people differently over time. So when we have multiple people in a relationship, part of it is relationship reviews, very disciplined pre-call planning, who's in this meeting, why, what are we talking about, what's the agenda, who's confirming with the client, the client meeting itself, but also an immediate post-call plan. So your post-call is scheduled at the same time the meeting is scheduled. And that post-call is walking away, the RM runs it, but saying, here's all the things we heard, who's following up on what, how are we keeping the team uh, involved? And then that RM is communicating back to the client. So I don't think it's as important to say this role is always the RM because sometimes the client will just gravitate somewhere else it's important for the team to say you are the RM and as such, there's an extra list of responsibilities that you, you have as part of that role. Yeah. I like the, 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 the discipline and structured pre-call and post-call, right? I mean, that again, it's simple, but that's where so many times the ball gets dropped because they're right off to the next thing and they forget to document what has to be done next and execute. Right. 
And I also think it's important. We talk to the client about being a team. And if everyone comes back and the client gets six different emails and right. all that, it also kind of goes back to it doesn't really feel like a team. So it's it's holding people accountable, that discipline to it, and also understanding that being the RM is not a higher or lesser role. It's just where is the client? Who does the client see in this role? And how are we making sure that we're meeting all of those needs, including when it's time for someone else to maybe step into that primary role? Cool. So Eric, how does that compare to with, with the way you guys handle it? I completely agree, right? I, I really believe the client picks, not us dictate who. So I think it's pretty easy with these teams to know who the gra- who the client is gravitating to, who they're calling first, who they want the most communication with. So yeah, we're not going to dictate uh, who is the owner of the relationship. We really let that you know go client by client, and and you know Rebecca said it very well. It, you know it could be someone, in, it doesn't isn't always the advisor. It could be a trust officer, could be a planner, could be a portfolio manager. Depending on the specialist, it, it could be anyone, and and each. I'd say each client, each situation is so completely different. It's it's just really hard to dictate it from a leadership level. Agreed. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. This was random that we we got both of you uh, on this on this episode. Um, what's interesting is that you're pretty aligned. It looks it, it sounds like you're doing things in a similar fashion. And I believe this is true. And Bob, back me up. We work with so many organizations. And what I'm hearing from you two is differentiation. You're you're doing things a little bit differently that uh, I'm sure is differentiating your offerings and has evolved through trial and error, I'm assuming. And I really, I really like uh, what you've both had to say and appreciate you sharing it with, with our listeners. So I think, Bob, so we're, we're recording this on the Friday before... Memorial Day weekend, and it's four. It's almost five o'clock my time. So, in the in the interest of happy hour and a long weekend, <laughs> I think we should wrap it up with a lightning round question. Bob, are you ready? I am ready. Let me get the uh, the bell here. There's noise cancellation on Zoom. We cannot hear the bell oh, anymore. You cannot hear the bell. So that <laughs> no. means, well, anyway, it's time for the lightning round question. And this episode, episode number thirty. What is the one word that describes what drives you? Rebecca. Since I only get one word, excellence. All right. That's a good one. I like it. That's why this is called lightning round, because it goes fast. It goes so fast without noisemakers as well. Eric. Excellence is a great word. I'll go with satisfaction. Uh Uh-huh. Good one. Guts. Uh, passion. Anything that I do well, and I do not do everything well, but the things that I do well when I reflect on it is because I have a real passion for it, whether it be business or otherwise. So passion is what drives me. Bob? That was one long one word, Mr. Stathis. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, passion. <laughs> I'm using balance. Uh, and I mean that because, well, well, you know, as consultants, we can't say things in one word. Work, family, Spend, save, business, pleasure. So it's all about balance for me. Well, hey, this was, I think, a a really fun, engaging, and enlightening discussion. And we appreciate both of you, Rebecca and Eric, for contributing all your thoughts and your insights. Thanks again, Bob. I'm sure you have some wrap-up comments. I absolutely do. And, And all of our listeners know I also have my top three takeaways from today's podcast. The first one is, as you grow as a client, we will add people to your team. Add the right people to the right client. Think about that. 
listeners. Number two, while you're thinking about that, let the client pick the person on the team who is the owner rather than the reverse. That might be something also you can think about. My favorite and something that we've been saying for a long time on podcast is financial planning without insurance is investment planning. So therefore, if you're a financial advisor and you're not including insurance, you are an investment advisor. So those program managers out there listening to this, pass this around to your financial advisors. All right, with that, thanks to Rebecca and Eric once one more time for their participation this Memorial Day Friday. Thanks to Jeff Hartney and the BISA. And thanks to Ameriprise for the continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. Don't forget the other two podcast series focused on our industry, Untangling FinTech and Industry Leadership and Success. These can be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it, we're on it. So now, finally, it's time to say goodbye, and we hope you enjoyed the show. So say goodbye, Scott. <laughs> goodbye, Scott. <laughs> Have a happy day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.